Yesterday we spoke about this notion of becoming conscious of the script that I'm reading in my life and recognizing that in my life I'm not the author but the character in the story and through my constant curiosity in regards to the things that transpire around me, I become engaged in this process of self-revelation. My life teaches me the lessons I need to know about myself. And every junction in my life is a different insight into who I am. We framed Rosh Hashanah in that context as something which is not a micro decision it's not something which is a small by the way occurrence but it's a macro decision it's much like when a person stands at the crossroads of the person he or she is going to marry the career that he or she is going to engage in the country that he or she is going to live in, those are decisions where the consequences will be long-lasting and forever relevant. And therefore, the way that I approach Rosh Hashanah has deep significance to the way that I move forward in my, in my life. I want to go back and explore another element and avenue in the world of tshuva, and that's the world of Dialogue. Dialogue. And we have spoken countless times about the creative power of words. That words fashion the reality that we convey to others as much as the reality that we live in for ourselves. Words are the model of the environment that we create for others and for ourselves. And therefore there's a enormous amount of ink spilt on paper to create a channel of speech which is powerfully and positively creative. We spoke previously that there's actually four dimensions of speech that support the creative energy that suffuses the universe, genuine speech, not a manipulative one, respectful speech and not dismissive, cynical speech, truthful speech and not lies, and positive speech, not negative speech. And those four levels of speech correspond to the four energies in the world. I want to speak about a different component of speech because, ironically, speech becomes the crucial mover in the tshuva process. And the Rambam begins his treatise on tshuva by saying the mitzvah of tshuva is in fact speaking, not doing, speaking. And it's rationalized in the following way. Let's think about this for ourselves. What is the mitzvah? The commandment, as it were, to do tshuva. If you say the mitzvah is a person was doing something wrong, 
he was speaking and maligning people day and night, day and night, day and night. So he's done something wrong, it's called Lashon Hora. Spoken Lashon Hora by people. And I, now he wants to do Tshuva. If the doing Tshuva would be stop to speak Lashon Hora, why is that a mitzvah? The same prohibition to speak it that was there when he started his errant act exists when he decides to stop. In other words, what's stopping him from speaking Loshnara right now? Well, he's not allowed to speak Loshnara. So did he do anything more than is required? No. He did less than he was required, and now he's going back to zero. So why would he be going back to zero be considered a mitzvah? Do you, 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 you understand the question? If you say that the mitzvah of tshuva is to stop doing the wrong thing I've been doing, why is it considered a mitzvah? It should be considered you slipped beneath the, 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 the requirement and now you're going back to zero. So that shouldn't be a mitzvah. That should be now you're doing what you needed to do. The same thing that prohibited you doing it the first time you did it prohibits you doing it after you resolve not to do it again. There's nothing new that's been added. Therefore the Rambam says that the mitzvah of tshuva is speech. What kind of speech? And he starts to speak about this thing called vidui. Vidui is their mitzvah, as they say. The positive commandment of speech is vidui. Vidui is vidui, is confession. I don't like saying the word cons- confession because it does have Christological connotations. After the word confession, I want to say things like, Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. <laughs> and I want to be behind, like a, you know, in a small little intimate box and have someone behind there, not knowing who I am. Play, 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 play. Let's talk about vidui. There's a Hebrew word, lehodot. Lehodot. And it's a very quirky word because it, it behaves in two different ways. The word lehodot means simultaneously to thank and to admit. What would be the connection between the two? Why is an admission connected to thinking? And we recognize in Hebrew, there's no etymological coincidences. That words are structured to work in all their different roles because there's correlations and overlaps. What's the overlapping component between thankfulness, gratitude, and admission? The paradigm in the term of gratitude is what's called the mitzvah of bikurim. You own a field and an orchard, and in the orchard there was a small blossom that blossomed in your pomegranate tree. A blood red, startling blossom, which became a bud, which became a fruit, which became a beautiful pomegranate. The first one in your tree. You pick it, you put it into a basket and you head off to the holy city, Jerusalem. And there, with your basket of other fruits, they also blossomed first, you offer it up with a declaration. And this is a declaration, you say. Now, I just want to contrast this with how I would say thank you. Imagine Mayor decided to bring me right now an ice-cold glass of water. Let's say... Because he realized I was thirsty. And he kind of put himself out to do that. I say, wow. Thank you. Thank you. So I would assume 
that I want to be appreciative of this pomegranate, and therefore, I'm going to say, thank you for the pomegranate. Instead, I say, looking at the pomegranate, wow, could be a thousand years. thousand years ago, a thousand years ago, I had an ancestor. My ancestor's name was Yaakov. Yaakov lived in a place called Aram. And there was an evil man called Lavan Harami. And he tried to destroy him. I'm like looking at the pomegranate. I'm looking at this guy and I'm saying, what's the connection? Like, why are you giving me a, history, a, lecture, a lecture in history right now? Why are you telling me about your ancestry? I want to hear about the pomegranate. My great, 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 grandfather lived in a place called Aram, and there was a man that sought to destroy him, but he escaped. Oh, gosh, what a relief. But he didn't go to the best place in the world. He landed up in Egypt. And when he got to Egypt, small nations started to multiply until they were great. But then they were put into bondage and afflicted and enslaved. I'm looking at the pomegranate, I'm looking at the sky, and I'm saying, what is this? Like, did I, I didn't bargain for this, like, shtickle So I'm thinking, like, and what's the cashier? Like, what's the good with the pomegranate? And then he goes on, and he says, and it wasn't easy. 210, 210 years, we stayed there in slavery until we cried out. And when we cried out, things started to shift. Miracles started to happen. And through a undeniable, an undeniable spiritual intervention, the tables were turned and the slaves became free men. We exited from Egypt miraculously through the sea that was suddenly dried up as we crossed it. Okay. But then we went into the desert and we wandered miraculously sustained by heavenly bread. <laughs> wow, 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 this is amazing. This is amazing, look at this. Wow. We'll get back to the water, thank you. Water, beauty. And I look at the, through the, through the, through the sea into the desert and land up in Israel. And Israel was conquered and divided up amongst the tribes. And a thousand years ago, this land was allotted to my tribe, and this is my ancestral land. And on this land, perhaps 30 years ago, I planted a seed. And the seed grew into a tree. And the tree started to produce blossoms and fruits and flowers and this fruit this pomegranate came from there this pomegranate is a thousand years old and in this pomegranate I look at it it's like a inverted crystal ball I see thousands of years of history manifest in its succulent seeds. Wow. That's gratitude. Gratitude is the capacity 
to experience the depth of life, in recognizing that anything that comes my way is a fusion of a multitude of different forces cooperating in order that it should be able to be accessible to me. And when I lift up this cup of water, there is no limit to my gratitude as I recognize that the only reason I have water, this was a rarity historically in Jerusalem. When the Ottomans ruled, water by the end of summer was so scarce that you'd pay top dollar for a piece of, for a small cup of dirty water. And here I have clean water through the ingenuity of desalination plants, of mighty pipes that are pumping this water all around the country. And I feel overwhelmed with gratitude that just 10 meters away from me, there's not only an access point for this bountiful water, but it's going through a reverse osmosis filter to take out even impurities that may be slightly not healthy for my gut. And this plastic cup, ingeniously invented, not so long ago, plastics, and crafted by a factory and acts as such an incredible container for this champagne of life. And then I feel that Yaakov, who went out of his way to bring it towards me, are collaborating until I feel overwhelmed. And I look into this cup of water, and much as the person who brought up his pomegranate looked into it, and I feel, and beneath that all, there's this incredible energetic force that manipulates and guides and manifests in every, every single thing. And now I have this water in front of me and then I feel compelled. What else could I do but to recognize the ultimate source? And in doing so, this measly glass of water becomes a handle onto the depth and the profundity of how many things collaborate just so that I can drink this water and feel a sense of hydration, maintain my health, and allow the blood in my body to course through my veins without hindrance. Eloheinu melech ha'elom shakol nye bidvoroi. Standard can't go wrong. <laughs> Whoa, how was that? Alex of life, power that's gratitude. It's going to end up with this. And then what happens is I become attuned to the depth of life and recognizing that apart from what appears on the surface, there's a backstory. Apart from what's revealed, there's a hidden component which is so deep and so profound. It goes all the way back 
to the very power of the creative force itself. And when I recognize that, I become touched in sync with the depth of the power of life. And my gratitude is not a just simple thank you, but it's a deep dive into a reality where I become solidly anchored in the power of a hidden universe and in touch with a deeper reality. And it brings over a sense of overwhelming humility, recognizing how small I am in this gigantic system and the unimaginable, unimaginable machinations that keep it going. I'm a tiny little speck and I feel awe, in awe of it all and grateful and humbled and privileged. And what happens when I admit? Well, kind of the same thing, right? I admit, I confess, I own up. It's like this. There's doubt. What happened here? It's on a surface level, there's an unknown quantity. And when I say, it was from me, I did it. I confess. I own up. I acknowledge that which was previously previously hidden is now open and revealed. And I say, I'm going to take away the cover and expose what's underneath the surface. And that's the same thing as saying thank you. I'm not going to say that this thing is me. I see that it's the reality is it's way beyond me. I am going to say this thing is me because I recognize my culpability. Both of them take away the surface and reveal the reality. Both of them take away the smoke screen and reveal the real cause. Admitting is saying, I'm the real cause. Gratitude is recognizing where the real cause is. Lohodot is lohodot. Vidui is a central component of tshuva. It's using the power of speech to admit. And the point of vidui is a reversal of the spiritual cloud that descends on my life when I become out of sync with the rhythm of the spiritual drum that beats within. Hate is a misalignment. It's not a sin. So when my actions stop being coherent with my inner world of pure, pristine sanctity, and there's a discord, the way to reconnect is to get rid of the fog. And how was the fog created? The fog was created through some kind of elaborate justification of why right now this is a thing I need to do. And that created the smokescreen which acted as a barrier between me and myself. And obviously by extension between me and my creator. And the admission takes away that barrier and says, I'm not going for that anymore. I'm fessing up. I'm recognizing my part. I'm owning it. I'm responsible. And when I say that I am responsible, I undo 
the evade, evasive action that I played when I initially did the misdeed. Because, you see, we don't do things generally without some type of accompanying rationalization. When I speak badly about people, I say, okay, guys, I'm about to do the worst thing in the world. Let's go destroy the temple together. Come with me. Yeah. I say to myself, nah, this is not a problem. This is not a problem. The reason why I can speak about this guy in this way is because there's there's a benefit when I rationalize. And when I say, no, 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 that rationalization, that was just me making up a story. wasn't true. Boom! Take away the smoke screen. Here's the reality. Reconnect. Tshuva is reconnecting through speech. It's by admitting. It's by confessing. It's by recognizing the causality within and looking in deep, introspectively, with brutal honesty and taking full responsibility for where things have gone wrong. And that in itself is the rectification. That itself is a tikkun. Because what was the problem initially? The problem was creating a smokescreen which drove out the spiritual positive energy that surrounded me. And I created a obstruction. And when I admit, so then I undo what I did. I said, you know what, that was a story. The story disappears as a cloud. And now, boom, I'm rerouted in the reality and I come back. Come back. So I think to myself, well, okay, well, I have to have to be honest. Where am I going? Where am I going wrong? Which things that I'm doing are not aligned? And where am I? Where am I rationalizing? Where am I telling the story? And it's not not really an easy thing to spot. Very often, I fool myself into thinking that what I'm doing is right. It's very much like the king who went for a walk in the forest. Didn't have to be a king, but it's always good to put a king in there, who lived in a castle, fashioned from the finest Italian marble, shimmering in the dusk sunlight. Also, not really needed for the story, but good. The guards stood outside, poised with their spears. Unnecessary. The king goes with his faithful helper, whose name's Igor. Give a bit of a, you know... And they're walking through the forest. The forest smells aromatically invading their olfactory senses, transposed to a sense of peace and calmness. They enter into the forest, and then the tree next to where the king stands has something strange upon it. A target has been painted, and in the very bullseye, an arrow has been shot. The king turns to Igor and says, Igor, do you see what I see? Igor says, the leaves. No, fool, says the king to Igor. The arrow in the target. Oh, I didn't see that. He says, yes, very accurate. He goes, yes, very accurate. And they keep on walking. They come to another tree. And this time, the tree has a target. The bullseye and in it is an arrow shot so accurately. And another tree and another target, another tree and another target until they come to a clearing in the forest. And from behind a bush, 
steps a man dressed in green, a long bow in his hand, ready to unsheath an arrow and thread it upon his bow. When he sees the king and bows down, prostrates himself. Rise, O archer, says the king, to which he does. Tell me, sir, how is it that every single time you manage to get the arrow precisely in the bull's eye? I need you to come and serve in my army. Says the archer to the king with a glimmer in his eye. Your Royal Highness, I have something to say. What is it? says the king. And taking from his satchel a few cans of paint, he looks at them and says to the king, well, it's quite simple, you see. First, I shoot the arrow, and then I draw the target. I never miss the bullseye. (laughs) (laughs) Rationalization is the way it works. First of all, I decide what I want to do, and then I build up the theory, the philosophy, the Weltanschauung that then supports it. And it requires a certain amount of brutal honesty a perspicacious perception of self to penetrate and drill down to is that really true? Is that really true? Is that really true? And the chuva process becomes a process of healing, of recognition, of deep inner awareness of the drivers that are making me move from day to day and a powerful realignment of the inner and outer selves. And therefore... The Rambam puts the onus of tshuva on those words where I can openly say, Chatati, I became misaligned. And when I can say that, everything disappears. All the hype, all the stories, all the false narratives dissolve. And I meet my real self. And I meet my creator in divine union. Vidui, Chuva, is healing for self and energizing for future. Do Chuva now. Thanks, guys.